In today's episode, we'll be taking a dive into the 15th state of the Agile report. This report is jam-packed with surveys and information from highly recommended Agile software delivery experts with their perspective on the past, current, and future conditions of Agile. You can find this report linked to our podcast, or you can view it online at thestateofagile.com. You know, guys, one thing that, that stuck out to me in this report was the fact that that Agile, in the midst of a pandemic, was and is still beneficial to use for businesses during these unique times. Um, I mean, with within the last year, Agile blew up and just basically went mainstream. Um, like, this, it's, this is crazy. I'm reading on page four of, of, the, of the report here. Listen to these numbers. So perhaps fueled in part by an increasing increasingly distributed global workforce, this year's report sees an explosive increase in Agile adoption across the functions of the enterprise. Since the first report 15 years ago, we've seen a steady increase in the number of organizations adopting Agile practices and, and processes, both inside development and within non-IT groups, including finance, human resources, and marketing. Listen, listen to these numbers. This is crazy. This year's findings indicate significant growth in Agile adoption within the software development teams, increasing from, here we go, 37% in 2020 to 86% in 2021. Uh, guys, that's like, that's a, that's a crazy jump from 2020 to 2021. Um, part of it being, you know, being the global workforce, being increasingly, um, being, you know, going to online uh, working from home and, uh, but what, what else do you guys think? What are other reasons why you guys think that like finance, human resources and marketing, why do you, why do you guys think that this adoption increased so much? Sure. Well, yeah. Go ahead, Justice. I, no, I, I guess, guess I want to throw out something, something real quick, right? Is yeah. that, you know, the entire, uh, premise of this show, right? Is that there is something profound and unique about the position we find ourselves in as agilists okay and as long as agile and agile methodologies are perceived as some corner interest to some you know glorified life coaches or something or some some just kind of special project managers or whatever right as long as that's seen then really the the real potential here is not not fully taken in when you actually see like listen this is an entire approach to delivering value that started with software but it's going to cannibalize just like software is all other industries right then the unique opportunity and role of the agile practitioner the scrum master is 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 really highlighted and so i just wanted to put that out there that like this show the modern agilist this explosion is going to have impact to all kind of other industries. And the notion that it's just specific to software is really going to, really going to change, you know? Yeah. So Rick, I think I'm going to off. That. I, not at all. No, I mean, I didn't nothing, nothing in particular um, other than I was, I was just kind of thinking about, and Mike, maybe you could kind of give us a little bit of insight into this, but you know, I was looking through the survey um, I think you have the numbers up, but maybe I can pull them up here on page 21 of, of the survey or the, the report, rather. Um, it kind of talks about the sample size and you have a uh, 4,182 respondents um, or responses were received with uh, 1,382 complete survey responses. Um, it doesn't, to my knowledge, specify what industries I, I know it was it says a broad range of industries in the global software development communities were invited to participate so you know it's this is a really interesting report but you know it is it is heavily focused it seems on software however you do see that explosion that mike talked about and, and kind of this growth uh, in, in the adoption of different agile frameworks and different practices um throughout you know other industries but specifically you know pertinent to this report software um, so there's a, there's a lot to dig into there. Um, you know, I, Mike, hopefully I'm not taking this too far in the wrong direction, but um, I guess I'll start, you know, you kind of hit on the initial part of the report and a little bit of the background of, you know, what's trying to be conveyed here or what is being conveyed here. But I'm looking at page um, six on the report um, with the survey responses kind of talking about 
company experience with out with agile um and they're pretty two pretty interesting pie charts there you know one of them is how long has your company been practicing agile um and you can see you know within the less than a year to five years which really isn't that long um is is the bulk you know of uh of respondents saying hey my company's only been doing this for a shorter period of time um and then uh the, the other question that kind of goes along with it that's right there is, is how many of your company's teams have adopted agile practices which i think is interesting you know um uh, you know how long has your company been practicing agile and then uh you know there's uh there's this this these chunks in the other chart it's, you know asking a question about what about your teams like the teams in the company so you kind of see this little bit of um you can kind of dig into that a little bit saying you know, what's the difference there between a company just saying we're agile and then the team's actually practicing or adopting agile practices? It says uh, there's a little footnote it says over half the respondents say either a majority or all of their company's teams have adopted agile. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not sure how to unpack that um, other than to say looks like there is a significant amount of companies, teams out there specifically in software that are, are practicing agile and you can kind of kind of compare that to what Mike said at the, at the top here. I mean, it seems like for all intents and purposes, uh, agile as as a thing and, and the frameworks involved are, are no longer just, you know, uh, fringe things, you know, they, they haven't been for some time, but now they're becoming they're coming into their own, they're maturing. And to Justice's point, uh, we're seeing uh, the areas where an agilist or somebody who has a good foundation of you know what an agile framework is what's what's meant by iterative development so on and so forth is becoming invaluable because these are now becoming things that you know are the norm agile practices yeah that's good i mean it, just just looking on page 7 um, you know which which areas of are of your organization of your organization have adopted agile principles and practices i mean some of the some of the companies just not companies but like um, different types of companies, not just software development. Like, um, there's there's security, there's human resources, there's sales, um, finance, hardware development, um, other. I mean, there's I think six percent other. Um, it just it just goes to show, you know, in 2021, given the times that we're in, given the uncertainty of of the economy right now, Agile is not dead. It's thriving. It's booming. And again, I'm going to use the word mainstream. Um, so, I mean, am, am I going off? Am I going off the charts here? Saying is it? It's it's mainstream now, guys, or is is that? What do you think? I, I, I would I would draw a parallel here between. There was a time. It's hard to it's hard to believe it now because the world's changed so much. Mm -hmm. When companies believed that they either didn't need a dedicated software team or software department. Um, and then that changed and they had a software department to where the whole world changed and companies are software companies. That's, that's the heart of what they do. Anytime I see like, you know, the, uh, the Nike version of the Apple watch and like the, the fitness software and stuff, it's a part of the brand, but that software is like driving you know, and even the design of their products and stuff like as soon as software moves to the middle, that changes the whole thing. Well, that, you know, is made famous by the saying uh, software is eating the world in a similar way. The the mechanisms and methods and the approach that have come out from agile methodologies unique to software are going to kind of cannibalize these other legacy forms of you know, quote unquote, project management as well. Uh, and my uh, my sister just got engaged and her her soon to be husband is is does a lot of stuff in uh, finance. Right. Uh, you know, and he when we started meeting, I started talking to him about what I did. His question to me at some point when he was needing to build out a budget for the following year, as far as resources and marketing and all this kind of stuff, he's like, you know, honestly, the more I talk, the more I think maybe I need some scrum masters. And this is in a context where they're, you know, medical device development. Um, 
where the device already exists. It's just a matter of getting approvals and all this stuff that goes along with that. And I thought, man, this is someone who's thinking outside the box, but this is surely the future. And it's some other things are in this report that, that really um, show why, and that's the ability to, you know, change quickly to changes, you know, it's a scientific method in a changing environment, but also the transparency. Um, so it's just, uh, I think it's inevitable that our craft, um, takes over a lot of what's happening in other contexts that are not specific to software. That's interesting. You know, I, um, there's a, there's a lot on this report. I'm sure we're going to dig into a, a good portion of it, but if, if you guys would indulge me a little bit, I'm skipping ahead a bit. I'm looking at page 16 and, and for me, page 16, it you know, talks, talks about scaling agile and it's just, it's, it's very interesting for me, you know, um, there's a comment on there and it's by Evan Laborn. Um, and uh, it says, I would say the number one challenge facing capital A agile today is a lack of awareness of systems thinking. And the fact that we have all these teams and organizations who have adopted agile and agile frameworks, be it scrum or safe or XP are doing so in one part of the system. Um, you know, so we, we talk a little bit of, Oh, Hey, we, you know, all these companies have adopted agile and these teams for the most part are adopting it and uh you know hey we're doing remote and it's becoming mainstream and all that stuff but it, it's interesting to me because um on that same page page 16 of this report the scaling agile um you can kind of see like the big the big the big kid on the block here is safe in terms of you know what framework to use to help scale agile and to maintain it and that has that has become the dominant you know the dominant thing here in terms of when you scale agile and you kind of promote it throughout an organization, the tenants of safe have been, you know, have allowed that to, to really, you know, it's, it's defined, it's, it's easy to follow. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying one way or the other, but it's just interesting that people can kind of take that and run with it. Um, but I also find it equally interesting as 37% um, of the respondents here that got back said, Hey, we're using, we're using safe as we scale. Um, but uh, then you've got down below, don't know, 19%. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know how to unpack that too much. I, I just find it really interesting in saying, hey, there's all these all these companies that are adopting Agile or Agile practices, Agile frameworks. Um, and it says, you know, all these teams uh, and organizations who have adopted Agile and Agile frameworks, be it whatever, are doing so uh, in one part of the system. And, uh, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see as portions of companies and teams within those those programs or those parts of the organization adopt agile practices number one um, how they do it and number two what they use to kind of scale that throughout an organization throughout a company um, and it's just interesting to me that obviously safe is is the is again the big kid on the block it's you know again very well documented um, lends itself to you know pretty comprehensive understanding of what's what's coming down the pike um you know th there's a lot to say about safe but uh, also it's just interesting to me that either they're they're using some some other people are using some home-baked uh framework or practices or they're just kind of haphazardly uh you know piecing together the Frankenstein, you know the frankenstein agile monster um and saying yeah we're agile it's just it, it's it's intriguing to me as we say this is becoming mainstream what is actually becoming mainstream and then also what's being used to scale it throughout companies i just found that that data point yeah. those data points interesting. yeah that's interesting and, you know and, and then the second podcast uh, that we did was was why agile and we talked about the frameworks in agile and the, is it iterative are the frameworks iterative and um do they do those frameworks uh, mirror the the 12 principles of the manifesto um and you know if that framework does, then it's quote unquote agile. And, and if you didn't listen to that, that podcast episode, check out our podcast at themodernagilist.net. And uh, you can check out all of our previous podcasts from, from there. Um, but yeah, it's different. It's interesting to see on page 16, uh, what percentage of, uh, of each framework, uh, yeah. businesses use, um, like, like you said, Rick, 37%. No, that's number one with the scaled agile framework and guys what do you what do you think this the second one was even though 19 percent was was don't know but the known one was what 
Scrum at nine percent. Well, Scrum Scrum at scale, right? Scrum so, at scale. You know, when we talk about the you know the the scaling frameworks, right? We talk about something at at a macro level that we're going to say, hey, this is something that we're using that has the ability to propagate throughout an organization, right? But then within the teams, if you if you kind of look at the you know the pages before that, within the teams, what techniques are the teams using, right? There's there's parts of the scaling frameworks uh, that a team can use on a day to day basis to track their work, to you know to validate their performance, stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, you know. And it, you can see on page page thirteen, you know, what what are the agile techniques and what's your level of maturity within the team. You know, and the biggest, you know, practice thing, uh, you know, uh, process that's put into practice is still Scrum. You know, it's still Scrum. Now, Scrum is a part of some of these frameworks. You know, and, and some of them, you can see the little copyright symbol. You know, that they're they're full fledged, you know, frameworks that people can can buy resources for, can hire people to implement these trans transformations and stuff like that. Um, you know, but. Uh, you, you look back at that page 13, you're seeing, you know, hey, we're using mostly Scrum. Some people are using, you know, a Scrum Brawn approach. And then they're putting that into some larger transformational framework that's going to scale this throughout an organization. So when I said before, oh, wow, it's cool that SAFE is the big kid on the block. Some people don't really know what they're doing in terms of scaling it throughout an organization. But, but everybody understands that a very effective way or very useful way of something they're doing at the team level is still implementing, you know, the tenants of the, the scrum process and using, and you'll see throughout this report, using Kanban boards, um, tracking issues. You'll see again, throughout this report, I'm not going to name the pages right now, but you'll see we're using Jira, you know, all that stuff is some, some rudimentary stuff. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's the mainstream stuff on those teams. And then you kind of bubble that up to the framework that, that goes throughout the organization. It's you, you kind of have to look at it that way. It's just, Okay, you're using that here. How does that translate to a larger scale thing? And again, I'm just kind of throwing that out there. It's just me thinking about it. So. Mm-hmm. Rick, I think it's funny that you mentioned this one quote because there's only one quote I pulled from this whole report, and it was the exact first sentence of that quote that you mentioned. Yeah. And what got my tail real wagon was that that reference to systems thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just think think about it, right? Here's, here's, here's what you are. You know, you, you're running a aircraft business, right? What do you need? Do you need guys who you hand them a manual and then they assemble airplanes? Or, or do you need engineers who are trained in systems thinking, right? Yep, yep. Like that's an entirely different thing. And another thing I noticed along with that, right, is there's a quote in here from the co-founder of SAFE, right? Dean Leftonwell. And what really caught my eye too is actually his title at the institution and it's called chief methodologist mm-hmm. and i was like yeah i like that that that's very cool you i know? mean that's that right there what you're kind of alluding to right is is in my mind how you differentiate between an agilist and no offense here but a, a traditional scrum master right who's working with one or maybe two teams and kind of helping shepherd a few things you know through the through the sprint through the process you know, through the scrum process and then you've got the 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 person who's kind of thinking on on the next level the, the the next abstraction up and saying hey what are we doing here on a macro level like you said chief would you say methodologist yeah yep. yeah it's just pretty cool you know how do we okay we're doing these processes okay how do we translate that to something bigger and better and and it's going to make an imp- impact across an organization it, it it made me think too that you know the need is there the people are there if they if they can think in the right way, right, and have the support. But yeah. the number one barrier to adoption when this at the beginning of this report was forty six percent of people said that the barrier to adoption was inconsistencies in processes and practices. Mm-hmm. And so, right there, it's like you can get um, you know uh, independent, autonomous, cross functional teams. But then when you need to scale that, right, you need some compatibility, some consistency, some way to maintain while teams are decoupled alignment. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. where this this um, kind of agile methodologist role and, and thinker comes in. Like, what are the consistent processes and practices that allow these teams to deliver in a cohesive way so that they are all 
you know, operating like a big uh, ant colony, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, in my mind, too, that goes hand in hand with, you know, I, I mean, I've, I know I've heard it said or at least observed it where it's like, you know, oh, why do you want to do this agile transformation? Right. What's it going to what's it going to do for us? We're, we're still putting stuff out. It's still going out the door, you know, and yeah, you say it'll give us better feedback or we'll, you know, increase our productivity. But I don't have the I don't have the data behind that. Right. And then on top of that, at the same time, OK, well, you know, this team does a little bit of different than this team. And and that's OK to an extent. Right. But uh, you have to have that that understood framework to kind of push this through and grow it and scale it um, so that those methodologists that can say, OK, you know, here's your level of latitude at the team level. And then here's kind of how it, it works at the framework level. And then here's how we can tell you. Uh, you know, the, the raw numbers behind it. Look at the increase in, in output. Look at the throughput changes. You know, look at the cycle time, stuff like that. So pretty interesting. Very interesting. You know, hopping back over to um, uh, what Mike had mentioned a little bit earlier about the departments, uh, different organizations' departments in their mm. um, adoption. And if you go down the line, I'll step right down the line. Like at the very top, we have 86% software development. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next, IT. This is on page seven, correct? Justin? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Next is IT. Next, operations, marketing, security, human resources, sales, sales ops, finance. As you go down the line, it, it starts with the epicenter. It's like the Matrix trilogy, right? There was like, it was called <laughs> Zero One, yeah. the machine yes. city. The machine city then begins to spread. It begins in the software development. Then it moves out into more generalized IT. Well, DevOps comes in and now IT and operations, the next two, they become consumed by development as infrastructure Mm -hmm. as code. Then we have marketing, digital marketing. We know what that means, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, Security, HR. Like if you go out, you can find some book, not many, but some like lean HR, Right. And as we go down this line and so this cannibalization, it's as software consumed, this particular um, uh, art, the, the art of agility. Right. I think is, is going to, to really branch out and maintaining this vision and hang keeping it and kind of seeing the big, big picture is what keeps me like super engaged. What was that quote that you used to say? You said those who master. Oh, large scale. Yeah. Yeah. The one, the one, that is the those quote. who master large scale software delivery will define the 21st. Those, uh, the, the, um, those who master, master large scale software delivery will define the economic landscape of the 21st century. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's why, this will never die. Maybe. <laughs> never, maybe. No, I, yeah. I, mean, I mean, there's there's a lot to be said, Mike. I mean, but there there's, is, a, yeah. there's a lot to be considered here, too. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's interesting how it's like, I think, you know, Justice, you were kind of saying it's radiating outward. You know, it started with software, the whole mentality of iterations, getting the feedback you know, putting it into framework, concretely understanding how things are getting done and it's radiating outwards and you kind of start to see it, you know, hitting, hitting some of the other non traditionally non, non, non coding areas, low code, stuff like that. You know, even marketing and some of the finance stuff, Uh, you kind of start to see this, this approach to using something agile, um, kind of radiating out from where it started. Um, and you can, can kind of start to talk a little bit about like DevOps too. We could talk in a, in a little bit about that, but just, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see this going anywhere. The approaches may change, right? How terminology, yep. terminology yep. may change. Yeah. But just the whole IT idea and, you know, the mentality behind it, I don't see it going anywhere. I see it expanding and eventually you'll say, okay, software is, it's for all intents and purposes. It's hundred percent. Everybody's doing this, you know, it is mainstream. It's the thing. Mm-hmm. And then you start to see it growing in these other areas. Um, because you do get value out of it. And this report talks a little bit about that, right? But you do get value out of it. And you are able to to see increases. In, and the biggest thing, I, I can't remember what page it is. Maybe you guys could tell me. But there's there's a page in here in this report talks about why did you go agile, essentially? You know, why has your company decided to do that? Or what was the – it's on page 8. What were the most important reasons for adopting agile within your team and organization? That's a good question. 
Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, like enhance ability to manage changing priorities, which is a given that always happens, right? Accelerate software delivery, or maybe we should just say delivery, right? Um, as it kind of radiates into these other sections, not necessarily software, it doesn't have to be. Um, it increases productivity. Um, it's interesting to me that, you know, there's not a little bit higher, some of these things, but, um, you know, the big one too, that you can quantify, you know, numerically, but also you can just see it as a given with some of these approaches that are, you know, agile approaches, um, is that, that feedback loop, right? That's that value that you're delivering to your stakeholders and to your end users, um, because you're not having these big bang releases where you've been working on them. You know, it, it's as, as basic as it sounds, you're not working on something for six months, you know, internally, and here you go. That's not what I wanted. Or, hey, the world has changed in six months. Uh, so you're able to get things out in smaller pieces and deliver value, number one, faster. And number two, you're able to adjust based on the changes around you and in the world and with what your stakeholders and, and end users want. Yeah. Did, did you guys notice um, uh, kind of a, a conflict between the question on, on page eight of the report? Like, what were the reasons for adopting Agile? And then the next page of the report is, how does your organization measure success? Mm -hmm. And it seemed like there's, because I, I often have to distinct, distinguish very much in my mind between what is being delivered and how it's being delivered. And a lot of the times as an Agilist, I find myself in a position where I can make an impact on how things are delivered. But mm -hmm. as far as what is delivered, that's made at another part of the organization, right? Um, and so it's interesting because, you know, you can deliver stuff fast and effectively, but that does not mean that has any impact on what is delivered as far as value to the end user. Mm -hmm. the, the, the golden goose is um, the efficient and rapid delivery of value to the end user, right? But there's kind of the two ends there. To get both of those is is a big deal. Um, uh, probably getting it fast and effective is easier. Getting them exactly what's most valuable to them, a more tough nut to crack, right? But uh, mm -hmm. interesting to adopt it for for um, accelerating software delivery, but then to measure your success on customer user satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe there's too much of a divorce between the two, but I thought that was interesting, you know. One thing I thought was interesting I want to point out too was um, the, uh, the the section on this report on agile uh, techniques and maturity. And, uh, you know, if, if we were to break up this list, you can see the top quarter is relatively, you know, humanistic, not necessarily technical stuff. Like the top is a daily stand-up, retrospectives, uh, iteration planning, iteration reviews, uh, Kanban, okay? Um, you know, these kind of things. But then as you get uh, further down the list, we start to see um, some things that are more um, uh, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I looked at the wrong list. Uh, under under uh, Agile Techniques and Maturity on page mm -hmm. 15 of this report, it says, what Agile planning and delivery tools are you currently using? And then the top quarter is stuff that's not necessarily very technical. Kanban board, task board, spreadsheet, Agile project management tool, bug tracker. But then as you get past that, first quarter you get into stuff that's automated build tool unit test tool continuous integration okay mm -hmm. um deployment automation tool so here's I, I in the same way we have that spread from the very central core of like hardcore software development and going into other areas as everything kind of becomes revolving around software mm -hmm. in a similar way we can kind of see stuff starting and like hey iterative let's learn let's make this visible let's look at this but then it, this increase in the technical methods of how this stuff is delivered and this is this is kind of illustrative of um how devops is becoming so uh synonymous as the technical side of agility this this devops side yeah. like we're creating this but how do we get this automatically out into the public automatically yeah. tested you know yeah, I mean, there's a quote down on page 18, right, to DevOps. It says, you know, 
I think you would struggle to become a digital enterprise without using Agile and DevOps, right? And it's uh, Helen Beal, that's her name. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, it was interesting that it said uh, below that, the report says, with 74% of respondents stating they either have current DevOps, uh, have a current DevOps initiative or planning one, uh, DevOps maintains a steady, strong level of investment. Interesting what an initiative is, you know, and, and how that's configured amongst it within an organization. But it, it is, Justice, you're, I think you're barking up a tree that a lot of people are seeing. You know, we, we have to incorporate this this technical piece and not not just a process piece here there's there's something else that we need to consider as we do this as we transform and grow as in as an agile org yeah. yeah go ahead go ahead mike yeah on the bottom of uh page 18 just to just to mirror the importance of of devops you know um it it, it says is it, there's a there's a little um blurb here the state of agile look back um, and it reads, the, the interest in DevOps has been a notable trend throughout the past few editions of the survey. And over the past four years, the percentage of companies who consider DevOps transformation uh, quote, is quote-unquote very important and has continued to increase 33% to 42%, while those who believe DevOps to be somewhat important or not important has decreased 35% to 25%. So just wanted to quickly drop that yeah. in there. It's good. Yeah. You know, the, the, there's a there's a section here on agile tooling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously the leader here is Jira. Then we go on to the tool formerly known as version one, Azure DevOps, Rally, Trello, uh, Google Docs. Right. And, um, uh, you know, there is such an opportunity for like a GitHub and GitLab, mm -hmm. if they, if, because they own the scene as far as like source control. Yeah. The management of code, right? Um, no matter how good your agile project management code is, engineers are not leaving GitHub and GitLab to go to you. Okay. But if GitLab can, or GitHub can finally release their new version of like issues that allow for like, I've been on this beta thing waiting for months. You know, I'm like, come on, come on, come on. Because it, it's finally to a point, at least the way it's looking, it's going to be that it's something that can offer everything that Jira does and possibly more. If they can do this, they can clean the board on a lot of these other tooling options. Because once again, start at the very center and move out. If the engineer is already in source control and now all of the project management ticketing and visibility and all that is happening in the same place game changer you know yeah i, I think what lasting has what, what they have bit bucket yeah they, right? they try to do that um, yep mm -hmm. so i mean i i think there's an acknowledgement there too from these large you know enterprise type software uh, companies or yeah, you can you can use jira personally too but just you know a lot of people do use jira clearly you know it's, mm -hmm. it's saying it here you know but it's interesting a lot of people also use some other things and it just goes back to the whole idea between you know shortening that that time helping engineering out and contributing to the whole agile uh, you know, um, agility rather of the organization by incorporating DevOps into whatever you're doing. And by doing that, you know, take it, take a step down, uh, you know, go down a level, get right to the code. You, you have less of, you know, there's not, not a point of failure is what I'm trying to say, but basically you're where it's happening. You're implementing agility where it's happening by getting, by integrating both DevOps and also integrating these systems that we use to track uh, at the, you know, essentially at the code level. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, so I, I want to take a little bit of different direction too. I don't want to, I know, I don't want to like derail us, um, but uh, I, I noticed something in here um, that, well, there's, there's two things and I'm, I'm just curious about them. So, uh, since page 11, Agile Challenges. And one that I'm just, I'm, I'm curious about, so I'm just going to ask it. says, the most significant Agile adoption barriers include inconsistencies in process and practices. We talked a little bit about that. Um, general organizational resistance to change. You know, where's the proof? Is this going to make us better? That kind of, but one thing that stuck out is cultural clashes. What's that? 
Man, it's um, it's it, it's a software engineering is a real different culture, you know. Uh, like uh, it goes back to to the genesis of this whole thing, and that is like working code over a lot of talk and documentation is that functional working code is the litmus test, right? And so in software development, there's a culture of like, we don't care how you dress. We don't care where you went to school. We don't care what you look like. We don't care where you're working from home, coffee shop, alley, whatever, right? You deliver value and and we're good to go. Compare that with, a, with a other industries where it's very much dependent. Your success is dependent on how you look, where you went to school, how you dress, and how much time you spend in the office. Um, maybe because things are not quantified as, as, as easily with other areas of contribution compared to like just writing code, you know. Um, but there's a, there's a real culture, culture shift there, and it's, it's a revealing itself in already the remote working, you know. Engineers, it's not even like that big of a change happened with everyone going remote. Engineers have been working remote for many, many years uh, as, as almost a norm, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that that's, that's the culture, like the old guild, the new guild, and, and, and just within the specific industry of software, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I have found, and you know, I'm not trying to speak for anyone else, but I have found in the past, you know, when you you want to implement or you know start a transformation or change something, um, I'm not sure if it's a, a you know a new guild versus old guild type thing, but it's like um, sometimes people, even engineers, especially um, you know people who are used to doing it a certain way are reluctant to change because they don't see the value to in what we're what we're yeah. trying to do or why we're trying to do it um you know so yeah. along along with it. what you're right yeah and, and along with what you're saying justice it's just like um you know it's like okay what what does it matter if i if i don't if i don't associate this to this if i don't track it or, and i i've had you know people that go as far as say well I didn't move my my ticket for lack of a better term along through the process, but I got it done. So what's the matter? <laughs> you know, and um, you know that there's we could go into a whole whole long conversation about you know why we do what we do and and you know again we talked about it in another podcast about if you pull this lever, what does this do? And, and we're trying to understand what's impacting what and trying to make things more efficient and incorporate other things like we talked about a few minutes ago with regard to, you know, technical pieces, DevOps, stuff like that, you know, as an agilist, we're trying to think about all these things, right. And also follow some sort of framework and grow that there's a lot of things to consider, but when you sometimes get down to it, there are people that are just like, Hey, I know what I'm doing. I can figure out kind of my own method of doing it. And it doesn't matter if I move your ticket. You know, and it doesn't yeah. matter if I look at, you know, metrics and I don't really care. You know, it'll get done when I, I've heard this. I'm not singling anyone out, but I've heard, I, it'll get done when I get done. Um, and, you know, and, and sometimes you end up getting people or teams that like to gold plate. And it's like um, we as agilists have to understand that we need to consider a lot of different things. Obviously, our minds are going in a bunch of different ways why we're doing what we're doing but we also need to articulate that well to the people we work with in the organization saying this is why we're doing this we've noticed this we're going to try this and we're going to see if this you know moves the needle at all and if it doesn't we need to be flexible enough to adjust a little bit too uh, without you know without changing every other day but you know we need to make sure that we're articulating why we do what we do to show that we're not doing it just to create busy work. We're doing this or we're promoting this. We're talking about this for a reason and yeah. it will benefit everybody. Might be a little bit different, but it'll, it'll be a benefit. So I could, I, I could see that kind of playing into cultural clashes. I think Dean uh, Leffingwell, the co-founder uh, and chief methodologist of scaled agile would, would totally agree with you. Uh, there's, there's a quote on, on page 11, the future requires agile at scale being able to achieve DevOps, being able to achieve flow, have everybody operating with an agile mindset, having the leaders understand that this is a new way of working, 
they need to get it and and end quote they need to get it and i think uh, i don't know if people are just they're just so used to the the, the habitual uh, framework of where, wherever they're in they they just we're creatures of habit and we don't want to change but i think you know as we for as agiles like you said rick if if we can if we can show why it's valuable what we're doing is valuable and why it's worth you know doing if, if, if there's a way that we can get the, the teams to, to hop on board and embrace this, this framework and see the value, um, that, I think that's one challenge for, for algeus that, that, uh, that, uh, that, that, that occur from time to time. Um, but I mean, cultural clashes, 43%. There, yeah. it, it says it. Um, so I, it, I think it's our, at the end of the day, it's our job to, to really get the team to, to, to corral around it. Yeah. I mean, I agree. The, the way I look at it, too, as a modern agilist, right, you have pretty much two options. You either just become a traditional scrum master or something like that where you're you know, kind of shepherding things, you know, checking the boxes, following the book, you know, or you become an agilist where you're you know, trying to get buy in, explaining why you're trying to do something promoting new ways and new ways of thinking um, and explaining we're going to do this and we're going to evaluate it and we're going to we're going to go ahead and measure how it's impacting us and then we're going to go ahead and change it if we need to or we're going to go ahead and if something's really going well we're going to continue to push that way um, you, you need to you, you have the option of just saying okay this is what we decided to do and now nah, it's not working but this is what it says to do so we're just going to keep doing it yeah you have that option or you can you can be that that agile champion and say you know i understand what's going on i understand the cutting edge the bleeding edge you know i want to maybe not implement that all tomorrow but i want to get us to where we're getting better and i want to promote buy-in and i want people to understand why we're doing it and get everybody on the same page that's yeah, huge that's good that's that is huge i like the, the other, way you get sorry go ahead, go ahead. no 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 because this this is a little bit this is a little bit more on that but go ahead justice okay okay i like the way both of you guys frame that as far as it's our job okay because you know it, it's easy to just be like well people need to wake up or people need to be engaged with the big picture and stuff and it's like you know i think there's some there's some motivational like some real insightful people i think some books out there some uh, military motivational speaker, whatever. I've uh, seen a guy wearing a shirt, this too. And it says, everything is my fault, right? Yeah. <laughs> you guys seen this, right? I've heard that said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's different. It's been that, posed like, it's it's all your fault. <laughs> that's, that's a different <laughs> yeah. thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, but everything is my fault from the standpoint of like, what's my role here, right? And, um, you know, not everyone can have their head in the clouds and be thinking about the whole optimization of entire organization. The people need to be in their team, in their release, on their particular <laughs> story, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it is, it's 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 100% in our lap, one, to know what is the impact of these things, to make them visible to know the value of what the different levers or small changes could bring about and then to like communicate that that's a hundred percent on us and, and a yeah. challenge. And also a reminder, the maxim of, of systems thinking that says any local optimization is a sub optimization at the, at the, uh, at the whole. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you, if, if you want to optimize the heck out of some little sub area of something, it will make the entirety of the whole organism less optimal. You have to optimize the entirety, right? And there's there's few, very few people in the positions to contribute to that and to help make that happen than people in our positions, agile practitioners, right? And so so there's a reason why we're servant leaders. We we bring this individuals, teams, the organization, and and uh, champion this stuff. Uh, often without any formal authority, but just pure persuasion. So yeah. it's, it's no small calling and challenge. And I'll even add on to that just a little bit too, because I entirely agree. Um, you know, I'll even add on though, one of the key things 
that I have experienced is if you want to promote buy-in in particular and the not like, okay, you know, we can be servant leaders. We can use our persuasion. We can, it can show benefits a lot to, to teams, software development teams. But if you want to get buy-in from management and people, you know, upper level management and stuff like that, you got to show them the goods in terms of, you know, the output, you know, in addition to you know, customer satisfaction, we're delivering on time, that kind of stuff. That's, that's all important, but you need to make sure as an agilist, as you're moving those levers, you're understanding what's happening too, you know, and you're, you're retaining that so that you can continue to tinker and continue to promote this to the teams and then see, okay, now look, look what happened between this year and this year. Kind of like what we're looking at a report as holistically, but you know, within your organization or within your group of teams, hey, look, we did this and we changed this and we updated this. Look at the positive impact it's had. And you can get ad agility buy-in at, at upper levels of management that aren't doing software development, but they're just they're worried about the dollar signs, right? Um, you can say, Hey, look, we're getting better. Here it is, here's the hardcore data. You can, you know, show that data and illustrate it however you want, but you kind of want to make sure that you know we're promoting it we're talking about it and we're doing it but we're also kind of retaining what happened what was the result and why we're why we're going on to try the next thing too so sometimes it's not just gut feel too and i'm not i'm not saying that either of you said that i'm just saying that's i have found that to be invaluable is to keep a record of what you did and the outcome and you know make sure that you can explain that to people even outside of software development mm -hmm. But one of the things that uh, maybe along these same lines, too, that was in this report, and I think it was up towards the beginning. Yes, it was on page seven. Um, and it was a pie chart. It says, how do you see the distribution of your Agile team changing post-COVID-19? So I think um, unless you live under a rock, everybody knows that a lot of people, specifically in software development, were, were sent away from the office. Go work, go work remotely, go work from home. Um, and I think it said only 3% expect that they'll be back in the office full time as things start That's to go That's a low number. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a crazy low number. Um, you know, and I won't, I won't speak for us because I don't, I don't know personally, I don't know what to expect. Um, but um, in terms of, you know, how, how everything will shake out in our region where we work, that kind of thing. I don't know, but um, yeah, only 3%. And so I think there's another challenge for us as agilists, not only to kind of continue to do our job well and to promote this and interact with the teams and to retain that information and to, to kind of, you know, be that champion and wave the flag, agile flag, you know, but also um, it's a challenge where, Justice, I think you were mentioning like the old guard too. You know, I have heard it said where it's like, or I've at least heard it alluded to that I'm not sure what somebody's working on when they're working remotely. You know, and uh, you, you've got some people that like to work sometime at 11 o'clock at night. Um, you know, full time employees, it's just when they, they take a little bit of a longer afternoon, you know, and then they hop back on, they, they, they crank some stuff out at 11 o'clock at night. Um, and I've heard it kind of well how do we know what's going on you know uh, how do we know when this person is going to get done and don't we have to have defined times that people are working and it's a lot easier when there's butts and seats you know and we can see people and talk to them and micromanage well i guess yeah. i guess it's just that's a new dynamic yes yeah. if we're gonna be remote i'm not even talking about distributed across the globe there's stuff to talk about there is, you know, you can have people working in a different time zone when other people are sleeping and vice versa. And you kind of got this, you know, perpetual uh, contribution going on amongst teams. But but just even just the remote factor of it, it's just you've got some people that can't, it seems like, get it out of their head that that's something that's changing. You're going to have to get used to it. And we should now continue to champion Agile, but also look at the contributions of team based on not just are they online, but based on what are they actually getting done? Because sometimes people in their head just can't get away from the fact that they're not online, their work's not getting done, you know, but how can we illustrate that? Yeah, look, look at, look at the, look at the throughput, look at the cycle time here, look what's yeah. going on. It's, it's all, sometimes it's better when they're remote. I think it's just a challenge.
So, Rick, yeah, you mentioned three percent will be back in the office full time. But for those of for those of you that are listening and can't see the pie chart, um, how do you see the distribution of your agile team changing post COVID nineteen? Three uh, percent will be back full time in in the office. Sixteen percent uh, was we've always been remote and expect to remain remote. Twenty five percent we went remote during COVID nineteen and expect to remain remote. And at 56%, we'll be back into the office on a regular basis, but not full-time. So just give you a little picture there on the on the uh, pie graph there. Let me ask you guys, based on that, and again, based on the challenges that poses us as Agilists, and then also trying to get people to understand that work can still be done effectively, albeit some changes remotely or distributed remotely, whatever. Um, you guys have a preference and why, you know, as, and, and I'm not talking why I don't feel like driving it. No, I mean, like, have you noticed positives, um, either being in the office, more, more benefit being in the office yeah. or more benefit being remote? Have you, have you heard of anything or have you experienced it personally? I, I can speak to that briefly. Uh, Justin, okay. justice, unless you want to, um, you know, I, I like, I, I'm an, I'm an extrovert. That's just my personality. I, I love being around people. I love talking to people. Um, uh, so yes, I love get. I love being around people at work, and uh, but at the same time, I love being at, at home because of the, the distractions. Or the, there's less distractions. Oh, I thought you um, liked distractions. And that, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maximum distractions. Yeah. What but, was that creek? What, what, what? Who's here? Who's that? Who just yeah. walked across my, my window? Who just came? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, but I, I can say you know we, what we've been doing and we've been we've been what Rick probably going into the office like once a month or something like that, maybe twice a month. Um, but the times that we we do go in, it is really fruitful. Um, it it's it's really it's really valuable. Um, I, for me personally, I like that that hybrid approach of working from home and then, um, you know, picking and choosing a time for the team to come into the office and, and, you know, collaborating on whatever we need to collaborate on. Um, you know, I, I, for me personally, uh, I, again, I just think it's fruitful. Yeah. That's interesting, Mike, that you said that, um, you know, I have experienced with along with you guys and then, you know, I'm sure, other people are kind of doing, starting to do more of a hybrid approach, ease back into normality. Um, but the times that I have gone in, um, let me put it this way, personally speaking, I don't, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but, um, and, and for the teams that I work with and the people that I work with, um, it almost seems like the days that I do go in uh, to the office and meet with people is is more fruitful than if I was there every day because, you know, I'm able to do some heads down work or interface, you know, over a, over a video conference or something like that with the people that I need to on a day to day basis and get, get work done and, you know, kind of isolate myself. A lot of people have an office or a table or something that they can work with at home. But then when I go in, it's, we have an agenda. We know that there are a couple of things we want to address as a group in person. And we're able to knock those things out a lot more effectively than if, I was there every day and I was like, well, where's this person or is this person in the office or do we have time to do this? You know, it just seems like we're able to block those days off those couple few days that we go in a month and then really use those to, to be very productive. And then we go back to the day, do our daily work and, you know, continue to push on things. And then we go back in a couple months or a month later and we have the, you know, that, that set agenda and it's very fruitful again, kind of tease for success. Um, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. So that, I like the hybrid approach um, because it also, in addition to that, it allows some flexibility too. I'm a night owl. I, I know you guys will attest to that. Um, you know, I like to, speaking of no no distractions, you know, I don't have much in the way of distractions during the day, but then sometimes, you know, hey, I think of things and I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm not saying this is a good or bad thing for other, I'm just saying I like to hit them at night and that way, when I start my day the next day remotely, I've, I've you know, attacked a couple things in the, in the night. It sets me up to dig a little bit deeper the next day. I'm able to dig through it and work through it the next day. And then again, maybe in a, in a few weeks, I'll be meeting with the team in person. We have a, an agenda. So 
it's just kind of a unique situation. That's that's my preference. What I've observed. Let me uh, let me let me throw out something, you know, prediction. Right? Is that even the terminology we use and the way we perceive this whole topic of co-location versus remote is going to change in a similar way as um you know when the, when the internet first came out the idea was it's a way for us to share documents that's what this is and we're going to do something real wild here by introducing something called hyperlinks hyperlinked documents right now think about how a person thinks about that kind of quaint beginning on like web two right where literally it's highly interactive comments video and all this and then and then think about what that looks like for a person even further down where basically it's augmented reality you know when, when everyone's wearing augmented reality glasses and they think back to google glass you know a, a moment of extreme pride for me being an owner of google glass when they came out right <laughs> okay nerd like, yeah yeah it's basically just this bit of text hovering in front of one eye okay mm -hmm. just some text hovering you know definitely not living in cyberspace augmented reality okay but but it was something in a similar way us talking like about the office I think that's going to be totally revolutionized right so having said that then the question then is what's the what's the what is your preference as far as meeting in person meeting online and even that i would say it's almost like saying what's your preference heads down or working in a group it's a cost benefit analysis for a unique uh, whatever the thing is as far as creativity sitting in a room with people in front of a whiteboard nothing beats it it's incredible you go right. to lunch together, you come back, you unpack stuff, work that whiteboard, have some like creativity sessions. You come out of that thing feeling like you really, you really discovered, had some major discovery and had some incredible insight, right? But if we say, oh, that's the only way, that's the only way. Well, that's not appropriate for every day. We don't need creativity every day. We need a little bit of creativity and then a whole lot of execution. Right. Yep. Um, yep. And so when we take it back to that, then then suddenly the cost benefit analysis is like, well, if we're 100 percent co-located, what happened to our talent pool? Because right now, if we're if we're distributed and we're remote, our talent pool is planet Earth. Right. Mm -hmm. If if suddenly now like, no, 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 we're in an office building in Pittsburgh. Our talent pool isn't even the state of Pennsylvania. You know, it's mm -hmm. basically the city and some very close surrounding areas right and so yep. there's that real trade-off and the cost benefit analysis of like you know how frequently do people come in i mean it depends are they coming from china maybe once a year are they mm -hmm. coming from across the country maybe a couple times a year or something like that for us you know we're talking within a few hours once once a month or something like that right and mm -hmm. so um for me I, I i actually tend to wait more on liking to be remote um, because when I consider the option of, 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 uh, being hundred percent in the office, it just doesn't, it doesn't provide enough of a trade-off for me to effectively be in my, in my car in some gridlock traffic for, you know, two hours a day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I think that's, that's the direction if we're speaking, you know, about agile here, but that, that is a direction I think has become, I, I'm with you on this. That's what I'm saying. Yeah going in having an agenda for those those in-person meetings has been valuable because we're we're able to discuss be creative I, I totally understand what you're saying and i would i guess the way i would put it is if i had a choice i had my druthers moving forward um you know i would i would advocate for do what's right for your team for your organization do what's needed you know if you need that creativity time then set set up an in-person thing if it's time for execution, like you said, then you know, daily do the remote deal if that's what works. And some people, they can still work, quote unquote, remote and still go into an office if you have an office space. And some people still work at their house. You know, it's the idea of, I guess you're right, Justice. I like how you said the idea of what do you do? Is it office? Is it hybrid? Is it in office? Is it remote? Maybe there isn't anything. It's just what do you need? 
Uh, and as agilists, we need to start to understand that's going to become a piece of things. And how do we then adjust and make sure that we're accommodating that too? Maybe a huge opportunity for increase in, in, in the, you know, available tooling in this space. Because think about it, when the manifesto was written, right, um, it wasn't exactly the same ease of, you know, uh, jumping on a call and sharing your screen with 100 people as it is now right from the mm -hmm. browser, right? And right. so the tooling changed that conversation in a similar way when it becomes easier to feel like you're in the same room with someone and to share a whiteboard. And I don't just have a, a, a hang up on whiteboards, right? It is documented, uh, mm -hmm. extremely wide, extremely awesome bandwidth for communication of information, right? So when you feel like you're in the room with someone, which, you know, Facebook is trying to do that with their, um, their uh, virtual kind of office avatar type stuff. I can't mm -hmm. say that's the way, but something like that. I feel like I'm in a room, we're sharing a whiteboard, we're doing this. Maybe that tooling even changes this conversation with time. Think of 20 mm -hmm. years from now, you know? Yeah, it's exciting to see where this will go because a lot, and I know we've talked about it before, a lot of this seems, and it kind of kind of talks about, hey, it's COVID is a big thing. We've caused a lot of people to leave. What do you expect? Uh, it'll be interesting to see what a lot of people do moving forward, not just in the next year, but over the next five, 10 years. You know, yeah. you revisit this and that might not even be a, a considerable. Oh, what do you guys do in office? Maybe there's just not even a question for that. It's just how do you how do you get work done? You know, so, yeah, it's good. Yeah. So go ahead, Mike. I had one other thing. But go yeah, ahead. go ahead. Go for it. I, I guess, you know, we're kind of talked a, a lot about this report and a lot of the stuff on it. Um, maybe take a second because this is this is maybe a, a loaded question or maybe there's a lot to it. But, you know, what are your what are your feelings as agilists about the adoption of agile practices and frameworks, the growth of people and companies saying, yes, we practice an agile approach? Um, you know, and then also kind of maybe some of the you know differences um, amongst like the traditional scrum master and a modern agilist. And, you know, feel free to not answer each of those, but um, just what are your general thoughts and feelings after, you know, reading this report and then kind of combining that with, with what you've experienced over the last, you know, however long you've been doing this? For, for me, um, I mean, this report is awesome. First off, I mean, 15 state of agile report. Um, it's again, it's linked to our podcast. If you want to view it, go to stateofagile.com. Um, over 1300 completed surveys online. Um, but what, what really spoke to me throughout this, um, throughout this report was the, uh, the future of agile. Um, and it, it, it's, it's encouraging to know where where it came from from the past and where it has where it's at today and it's working today given given the uh given the crazy times that we're in it's still working um and i would even i would even uh venture to say if if you're if you have a team and you're trying to adapt the agile framework within this team and you're trying to get the team to embrace it by all means show them this report show them the value show them the statistics the numbers don't lie um, if you're doing it the right way and it works in your business, go for it, use it. Um, heck show this, show this report to your team, have them study it. Um, so yeah, just, just an overall view of this report. I, I just got a, a great encouragement and a great feeling of, of the state of agile and the future of agile and, and how it's evolving and adapting. And, um, so that's pretty much what I got out of it. How about you, Justice? That's great. What I'm taking from this is just um, the incredible opportunity for players in this space. Um, it's the most fascinating confluence of technology, software development, uh, systems thinking, um, organizational design. It's it's incredible. If something is, is, is too technical at some point, AI is going to take the whole job. So find something else. Right. And if something's not technical at all, it's like, come on, what are we doing here? You know, cavemen, right. This is something that can never be totally automated, but has tremendous opportunity to grow and 
technical Absolutely. sophistication, right? And grow into all kinds of areas of human endeavor that, that deal with uh, coordination, um, removing coordination overhead, making it more efficient uh, in all this, right? And um, so, you know, it would be my takeaway from this is I'm feeling very fortunate and lucky to be in this field. And I would offer just an extreme encouragement to anyone. Um, this field is really not difficult to get into. It's easy to get stuck as, you know, kind of this uh, a, a meeting jockey, right? But if someone enters this field with the right mindset and the right ambition and looking and seeing over the horizon on where things are going, it's just in insanely exciting and the ability to make an impact on, on organizations and in just in the world in general, it's just, uh, I find it thrilling, you know, it's good. Yeah. You know, my take on it is along the same lines, you know, is you know, we, we talk a lot about the, the widespread adoption specifically with, with regard to the report with software, software uh, development, stuff like that. Um, and to justice's point, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. I look forward to, to kind of seeing and being part of, that growth you know in the wider community of what is agile and also what are organizations doing you know and how does that change over time and what are the next things that we can do as agilists to kind of move that needle um, it'll just be interesting i think uh, across the board specifically you know, people recognize that this is a valuable approach kind of doing something in an agile manner manner and then also you know there's i'll just take it one step higher you know one one thousand foot view the, the opportunity is unlimited like i think justice said but also uh you know right now it this is such a time to be a change agent as an mm -hmm. agilist um you know it, we, we have that opportunity it's not there is opportunity go get it it's like we're creating the opportunity as agilists um, so I, I just that that gets me excited. And there's every day, it, it seems like you could, if you put your mind to it, come up with something that you can ha do, not just within an agile framework, but as an agilist to kind of, again, move the needle and define what agile is moving forward, and how companies operate, and how frameworks are developed, and how people understand what's going on and visibility is increased and numbers are analyzed, like, you know, there's, there's so many different avenues the opportunity is just there for you to not only just take, but to, to, to change, frankly, change the world by being an agilist. So that's awesome. Like what, what an opportunity we have right now to do mm -hmm. that again. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Good stuff. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the modern agilist podcast, where we examine and discuss all things related to agile and large scale software delivery. You can find the latest podcast episodes and our latest blog posts on our website, themodernagilist.net. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. And if you enjoyed listening to our content, please subscribe. <laughs>